Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to yet again another fantastic indie creator interview. It is your Cave Crusader, Cody, and we are keeping it geekly with our brand new friend, Lance, from Warehouse 9 Productions. We're here to break down not only his history creating films, but creating indie comics as well and everything in between. Lance, welcome to the stream. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I, I, I am. Where do we even begin? I mean, you have such an expansive history uh, with just creation uh, in general. Uh, I know we're here to talk about Bob the Non-Union Psychic, uh, but first and foremost, you know, what came first, films or comics, for you? Oh, films. Without films? a doubt, that that was it. Yeah, the cinema hit me first, and so, then it kind of tapered off to comic books. So when you first created, uh, started creating film, like how did that look like for you? Uh, you know, when you first made, I guess your first break into the scene. Uh, it's been a long time. Um, started with a short film, Knights in Shining Armor out here in Colorado. Try to do something radical, shooting it on film, which helped me transition to a feature film a year later. Uh, and then there was a pretty big lull in production for a while until I hit it again pretty hard in about 2018 um, with remastering the uh, feature film and getting distribution for it. We're just waiting for a, a place for it to land right now. And uh, hitting the festival circuit with a lot of short film content that we've created, um, which also kind of segues into, the, uh, into Bob Non-Union Psychic because we're working on a spin-off film of the, of the, the, the book itself. So That's so this, cool. This, yeah, this spans quite a, you know, a couple of decades. Uh, so what been, was that? What was that future film like? You know, what was the title? What was uh, the concept of it? You get, can you give us a little bit of a breakdown of it? Yeah, it's called Hunting for Fish, and it's a heist, <laughs> uh, diamond heist chase movie. You know, a comedy action film uh, shot entirely here in Colorado. Um, fun little film. I mean, it was back in those days when you when you can still create those indie darlings that would stand out. And uh, before before the market kind of crashed, uh, it was it was a heck of an ordeal, a heck of an experience. I was I was very young. Um, it was very difficult. I wouldn't trade the difficulties and all the hardships for for anything because it was well worth it. Yeah, yeah. And and right now, you know, I got into a film festival. It was eligible for distribution. I didn't take that particular distribution. I went a different route. And now, you know, it's just waiting for a place to land on a, on a, a legitimate streaming platform. Um, so, you know, it, it took a lot of time, energy, and patience uh, to get it the way I wanted to. So that was another mm -hmm. another reason. We, we're going from the standard definition to the HD world. And that, re that uh, I would say that remastering process was extremely extensive. So, but it was economically feasible. It's economically feasible to do it today, whereas it wasn't 10, 20 years ago. It was just out of the realm of possibility. I, I would say it, it feels like the advancements we've made with technology has probably made uh, film production a little easier, I would almost imagine. But again, I've never created films. So I, would you say that uh, it's maybe started taking steps in, in, in the right direction to make it a, a more feasible to create films, or is it harder? It's, it's technology-wise... To create videos, it's easier. Um, I'm not saying the quality is better, and I'm not going <laughs> to say that people are doing a better job, mm -hmm. uh, but it's definitely in in the creator's hands now. You can do it. You can do it all on your laptop. I mean, you can do it on your phone, which you know I don't recommend doing. But you can do it all. Uh, but I think 
the quality of the work is is really degraded because of it because now anybody can do it anybody calls themselves a filmmaker anybody on the planet and, and <laughs> anybody can win you know, an award it's 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 a different time i i think i the craft has taken a different turn and there are those that can do it extremely extremely well but we are we are uh, saturated with a lot that's not done very well or maybe a lot of shortcuts too uh with you know i would almost imagine creating a film or or any sort of video media back then like you had to work harder because you were so limited with what you were able to do but now with technology you're able to take more shortcuts it seems like and maybe the production value you know goes down absolutely i think that that is always a a hindrance especially on the production side of it i mean the post-production side of it is the non-linear editing systems and stuff have been around for decades. It's, that's okay to get it to a digital format. Uh, it's now up front, uh, you know, people boast that they can shoot a movie for $1.95 and that's great, but it's going to look like it's shot for $1.95. I mean, you got to be careful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't like to lead people uh, uh, down the road of a false sense of security and say, just pick up your cell phone and you're, you're a movie maker. I can't do that. I, I think you need to understand your craft, study your craft, and get it to a point where you, you really want to show it to the world in, a, in front of a live audience and not sit in the back of a movie theater with your head down. You know, you, you really want to be able to say, hey, I, I want to create something, uh, a film or a comic book that I can get to a legitimate publishing or distribution platform and be represented. I think, I think you need to really take those steps to, to try to be extra professional nowadays because there are so many people, like you said, taking shortcuts. And that's what kind of saturates the market. That's what hurts all of us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We have at, we actually have ASAP Imagination in chat saying Lance is keeping shooting on film alive. It, it definitely sounds like it. Uh, I, I love just everything that goes into it. What was the next step? Did, it, did you see Warehouse 9 production come alive like during this time or, or was your work with uh with bob like the next step like where where did you go next i think that i think bob was the next step because you know um you can get disenfranchised pretty easy within the the movie industry you know you can you can get weighed down pretty much and especially when you do a feature it's a phenomenal task that just weighs on your shoulders mm -hmm. uh immensely and you just want to make sure it's done correctly so right after actually shooting the feature film uh I started to write more screenplays. At that time, going back 20 years ago, it was a different animal. I mean, uh, the internet wasn't saturating it. You can actually talk to producers and agents uh, relatively easy. Um, you can get information. You, you could learn more. Mm -hmm. And I had these screenplays. I had Bob, Non-Union Psychic Screenplay. It landed on a few big tables. It was ready to go. Uh, problem was, it's would have been a very expensive movie I'm a, and I'm a nobody from nowhere. So that didn't happen, but I wanted to keep that dream alive. And of course I uh, met uh, Adam Boley, who is my co-writer and editor. He was the comic book guy. He's the guy that knew everything about comic books, how to mm -hmm. make them, how to do everything. I'm the movie guy. So we started talking uh, 2014. Uh, we had written a couple of screenplays together in, uh, in the early 2000s. And kind of just went our separate ways but we, we kind of came back together and I mentioned the idea about what about adapting one of the screenplays to to a, a graphic novel form and he was down with it uh, we had other ideas and ultimately I said well what about Bob let's try this 
And we felt it had the commercial ability uh, uh, to be able to make more of a splash than some of our mm -hmm. other uh, hardcore uh, projects that necessarily wouldn't have been commercial friendly at the time. So we went with this and we were like, okay, so let's just introduce the story from a 120 page script, uh, a feature film script. Let's do a, a book zero and kind of just introduce this character. Let's condense that entire script uh, into the first 30 pages and see, see, if, and see if it'll grab, see if anybody cares. Mm -hmm. So that's what we went for, you know, uh, and it turned out to be pretty fruitful. Uh, people were paying attention and then we said, well, let's do a couple more books. Let's round out a trilogy. Oh, that uh, is let's, awesome. Let's, let's develop this, which then turned into the, the graphic novel uh, that you see now, the, book, the, the big book of Bob, volume mm -hmm. one, which is all three books with supplemental materials. So we kind of did like you get, you know how you get those DVDs or Blu-rays and you get the, the director's cut and you yeah, get all the yeah, supplemental yeah. materials. That's what we wanted to do with the book. Show more art, uh, have an introduction, um, advertise the film that's going to be based on it, all that stuff. Uh, just put it all in there and, and throw it out to the world. So coming from a history of creating films, when you were first presented with the idea of taking this and making it into a comic or going in, into the comic like direction, what was your first initial like thought when you were presented with that? Was that something that you were instantly like on board with or did it take a little bit of convincing? Instantly on board. I mean, it, it's going to come to life. So you want it to come to life. And how do you do that? Um, comic book was logic. It mm -hmm. was written for the screen, but it is a cinematic book. So I think that's that's kind of the idea of saying, okay, you know, uh, this will work. I think we have the right components. It, well, it, we, we, we secured the right components with Francisco Resendez, our artist, and um, just making sure we can make this book as high quality as we possibly can at an independent level. You know, uh, sometimes indie has a stigma of so-called being low budget. Not mm -hmm. true. You know, we wanted to make sure that we can compete with the big dogs and have a product that looked just as good, if not better. So we took pains for that on the production side. So that's the film side of me talking. That's yeah, saying, yeah. okay, we need to make sure we nail this. And we need to make sure it looks phenomenal and the story is great and people can identify with the character. So, so I was on board. Uh, would you say that your history creating films like kind of just made you like overqualified for comics like since you had outstanding like you know ideas of like you know perspective views panel like paint because uh, initially when you create a, a script in a film like you're, you're designing a camera or a comic on on screen right like so like would you say like going into this after creating films like just made you like that much better I would say, uh, well, yeah, it was a learning process with 100% uh, uh, comic books, there was a learning curve. So I had to learn uh, from, from Adam, you know, how many panels per page is right, uh, how many words should be in, in, in the dialogue bubbles, um, looking at the layouts when we first got it. I mean, even the process of hiring an artist, uh, we, were, we were overwhelmed. We put the ad out, you know, we paid. Um, uh, it wasn't an overwhelming amount. We put the ad out to the world that we have the psychic book that we, you know, we're, we're trying to create. <laughs> and boy, we got, we were just amazed by the art we were getting. I mean, plant, people from Spain, Korea, uh, South America, you know, um, we, I thought the Americans would step up. They didn't. And it was like, 
okay, our top three guys were like Mexico, Brazil, and Argentina. These dudes were <laughs> knocking it out of the ballpark. And looking at their styles, what caught us about Francisco is that um, he's, he's an animator. Mm -hmm. So, cinema. I was seeing cinematic angles. I was seeing cinematic aspect ratio in his art. So I thought, I think this is the guy for us. You know, we're going to go a little cartoony, um, but when it gets violent and serious, people are going to pay attention because yeah. it's more poignant. Uh, but he nailed it. So the first book, I mean, it was, it was, he's out of Mexico. There was a mild language barrier, but he got it. All I have to say is like, he's like, well, what do you want it to look like? Well, I need saturation. You know, that's a film aspect for colors. Um, I need texture which means just no plain backgrounds that are one color or, or gradient. Give me some texture. Give me something. Mm -hmm. And atmospheric. You know, a little creepy. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all we had to say. And, you know, he nailed it. He nailed it, and he got better and better and better. Every book has a different feel and look. So book zero was that indie book. Book one, I said, look at Amadeus. Look at... Uh, all these classical movies I threw his way. And he was like, can I do it kind of like a Rembrandt, uh, Renoir style, but cartoonish? And I said, yes. And then we get to the, the third book, and he's like, give me a movie. I said, Batman Returns. This book is cold. The theme. He was like, okay, he got it. So we were able to communicate cinematically. I and it, it translated to the art. And it worked out wonderfully i mean we are very proud of this book we stand by this book you know we, we we will put it up there against anything and say hey look this is what indie is capable of mm -hmm. pay attention no i agree uh i think the indie community is in a lot of cases like they 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 outshine the big two because they have you guys have to work five times as harder to get your name out there you know uh comic from dc has that dc label on it has you know marvel has that marvel label you know indie yeah your indie guys are typically you know don't have nearly as much exposure so when you guys do get in that spotlight you have to make sure your content swinging on all cylinders and it's it's awesome to kind of hear like the like how everything works behind the scenes so how did we get warehouse nine productions in this did you create uh this like when you were working on bob or was this something like after bob no, this is the entity. This is the production company. And this was created uh, while, while uh, Hunting for Fish was being produced. Uh, so Warehouse 9 Productions is a legitimate corporation. It is an entity. And the umbrella en uh, encapsulates everything production-wise. So that's film, comic books, and whatever else may come behind it. So uh, professionalism-wise, be an entity, do your homework, get your contracts, you know, I have a lawyer, I know all this sounds sometimes out of the realm of possibility, but it's not. All these things help legitimize Warehouse 9 Productions. Yeah, so yeah. when I'm at a festival, or when I'm promoting the book, uh, or when I'm making a pitch to a, a streaming service, a mm -hmm. distributor, or whatever, they know my ducks are in order, but to make sure they, they check. Yeah. Know, do I have my contracts? Do I have my copyrights? I own everything. So Bob is owned by Warehouse Line Productions. Everything to its logos, to everything on the page, that's owned by us and it's mm -hmm. protected. So that's a legitimacy. No one can mess with that. That is mine. <laughs> 
That's so awesome. That is awesome. What so what like what goes into that? Creating con uh, contracts, making sure you own rights to your characters and in, in, in productions. And that you know, as someone on the outside, it just seems like it's so much to have to like oh, go through and work through. It's absolutely uh it's it's heavy to say the least. But it's part of the process. So when you make when you make the films, you know, you get your 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 production company. You do your business under your production company. You're insured under your production company, so people know you're legit. They don't just think you're someone walking off the street trying to get something done. Uh, I approach the comic book the same way. Um, yeah, the whole book's copyright protected. Uh, it's it's all about the learning process, and these are things that this is where people fail. They don't get their ducks in order, and they mm -hmm. may have something awesome, and they get to a point where they can get the exposure or maybe uh, secure distribution or publishing. And then the reality hits, well, wait a second, you don't own this, but well, we can help you get a lawyer, figure it out. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, what do you mean you didn't get your, your photo ID signed for your performers? We can't show this on a public flat platform without that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that people try to skirt. They're always trying to take the shortcut. Yeah. And guess what? You just gotta, you gotta pay your dues. You can't you take them shortcuts. Dues. Yeah. Yeah. You don't pay your dues. You may sell yourself short in the end. So try to be something professional up front. Protect yourself first and foremost. Then get your material out into the world. No, absolutely. So let's uh, let, let, let's start uh, pivoting back to Bob. So Bob, Non-Union Psychic, The Big Book of Bob, Volume 1, uh, is about a renegade psychic and, and professional hairstylist as well. You know, how do, how do we see those two inter intertwine? Well, you know, I mean... You know all the tropes for comic books. You know, they're, the, the tropes and cliches uh, are pretty much solidified in, in, in comic book writing culture going back, geez, probably 100 years. <laughs> so the idea is, think, you know, uh, it was cinematic first, and then now it's it's a comic book, but it's like, okay, what, what how do we avoid the trope of a, a hero that doesn't have a fortress of solitude, doesn't have a bat cave, you know, doesn't have a, a billion dollars in a bankroll to make something happen. Uh, <laughs> you know, to me, those are story cheats nowadays. Those are outs that your character can take due to convenience. Mm -hmm. What I wanted to do is make Bob very inconvenient. He's a working stiff. He owns a business. He has a skill and a trade skill that he can take anywhere, anytime. That's his first and foremost love. He just happens to be hyper in tune with nature around him. <laughs> that's that's the duality. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the conflict of his character. And I thought, well, you know, I was looking at all kinds of professions. What a mechanic, uh, you know, what, what can he do? But then also hairstyling was a, a network situation. You know, everybody gossips, you know mm -hmm. what's happening in your neighborhood. So it was kind of his network as well to know what's happening. So it was all about a profession. It was all about not being convenient. And I think it worked out fantastically because people scratch their heads when they say professional hairstylist. Well, you get your haircut, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Everybody gets their haircut. That, that's your go-to person sometimes. That's a very important person in your life. You don't know it. Uh, so it was about the trade skill. It was about avoiding tropes, cliches. And it was about saying, hey, the guy's got a profession. And, and, a, and a livelihood he's trying to protect. Mm -hmm. 
beyond his his uh, his fantastic abilities. So it was it was a uh, quite a process trying to figure that out at first. But I it just the hairstyling a barber felt fantastic. It just felt right, and I've never seen that, so I went for it. Yeah, no, that is such an interesting concept, and I, I seen a lot of the focus on, on the scissors, you know, on the cover art of uh, issue zero through two. You know, you see it kind of in, in in the swirl, uh, and then uh, in the comic as well, uh, the the golden pair of scissors. Uh, so, what was like some of your inspiration for Bob? You know, like the character design and just like him as a psychic and hairstylist. I know you kind of said it was something that you really didn't see, but like, what kind of like drove you to like just create Bob in general? Uh, it's about fighting the gatekeepers and I'm going back 20 years on this you know just say hey you know Bob landed on a, a, a couple of the script landed on some two big studio tables and they killed me with kindness hey it's great it's awesome uh, you're not a name um, it's gonna be too expensive so we have to pass okay mm -hmm. you know sometimes you, you want to hear you suck don't even bother kid you know uh, that for sometimes sometimes might feel better than Mo motivation right like you use yeah. that as motivation but when they're nice it's like where do i go from here <laughs> right and it's it's and it was the same with everything you're always talking to, to film people you're always talking to, to distributors uh uh anybody that can get your project somewhere and really i got tired of talking to them i'm like you know what the gatekeepers are really bugging me i'm not juiced into the system i don't have an agent i'm not going to sell my soul I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to do it my way. You know, come hook or crook, I'm doing it my way. Mm -hmm. And basically, that's the concept of Bob. That's why he's Bob, non-union psychic. Now, non-union is a metaphor. You know, it could have been non-guild. It could have been non-club. It could have been anything. The idea is, is that the entity that hovers around him in all these books is the psychic union. And is he good enough to get into it? So acceptance. And the idea of acceptance is, like you said, us indies got to work a lot harder to be accepted. Mm -hmm. So book zero is basically his interview. Is he going to get into the psychic union? And no surprise, he doesn't. Bob, non-union psychic. You know, <laughs> even though he has the skills, the talents, mm -hmm. everything you need to get in, politics dictates he's not going to get in. So he just decides, well, screw it. I'm already a, a, a small business owner. I'm already a guy that does my own thing. So I'm going to do my own thing mm -hmm. anyways, with the help of his, his great grandfather, you know, who, who's his mentor. So now he has to lead it, not necessarily a double life, but he has a life that conflicts. You know, he's got to he's got to help people with their hair and he's also got to help people in the psychic realm, you know, uh, good energy, bad energy. Um, whatever it needs because he has the skills and the wherewithal to do it so it's about basically just saying all right gatekeeper i don't need you because i'm going to build my own gate and i'm going to let people in i'm going to open the doors mm -hmm. get new artists writers so it was it's it was it's a statement fight the gatekeepers man don't don't wait to be accepted. i love it i love just it fight for it because uh in reality i mean even when you get accepted uh nine times out of ten it's not what you imagine it to be right like once you finally achieve what you want to get accepted for so hard and like sell your soul for nine times out of ten is not as grandiose as you originally thought when if you make your own path if you work your way up that is like something you earned and that's something that you take you know you take take with you to the grave that respect and that honor i love it man this is so awesome this is great this is great
uh, man wow this is so with Bob, like what what can we expect, you know, for anyone that's just jumping into this for the first time for issue zero, issue one, issue two, you know, what type of, you know, conflicts are we going to see Bob come up against? Like what type of, you know, turmoil or, you know, what type of, uh, I guess, is there going to be any sort of antagonist uh, that, that we can expect in later issues? Oh, definitely, definitely, without a doubt. And it's mostly just the struggle to survive. You know, it's the struggle to hold on to his business. It's the struggle to do what he really feels he's meant for. But there's this force that's always pulling him to the other side. You know, no, you got to help people. You know, there's something bad going on and you need to help dispel it. You need to help uh, cure it. You need to help do this. Mm -hmm. So it's that constant struggle that I think people can relate to in life when they're trying to produce their art and they have to take care of a family or a spouse. You know, when, when they're trying to produce their art and have to work that day job that they hate um, just to get through it all. You know, I, I think uh, metaphorically and uh, uh, it's something to identify with, with the average reader. I think anybody can pick up Bob and read it and identify with those kind of struggles, mm -hmm. but in a very grandiose and fantastic way. I mean, it is, we try to make it as big as we possibly can on the pages. We, we want it to be fun. And we want it to be, first and foremost, entertaining. But it's also a book that, what I've heard a lot of people say, they read it. They just don't blow through it. You know, they just don't knock out the pages. They have to read it and then look at the art. And I'm like, well, I, it's what we planned. That's what we want you to do. And identify with the character, which I think anybody can do. No, that is awesome. So since we built up Bob... Uh, and kind of everything in between. Let's go ahead. We're going to take a look at the trailer and then Lance is going to go ahead and give us a look at the first six pages of it as well. Oh, we're good. Perfect. I love the hard underwear. <laughs> This art is just mind-blowing. 
Your artist is doing the lines and the coloring as well. He does everything. He's wow. He's uh, he does, he does everything except for the lettering. All right, so let me go ahead and get your screen pulled up. All right, and then Lance is going to take us through the first uh six pages of this. So right now we're looking at the cover. What are we seeing happen on this cover right now? This is kind of a this is kind of a, a concept of of grandiose, um, just overindulgence. I mean, Bob sitting on a throne with his, his, <laughs> his people around him is just ridiculous. And, and the idea of his psychic shield protecting everyone and, you know, all the evil forces trying to get to them but can't, with that symbol, with that, that uh, squirrel with the scissors in the center, which, you know, is, that's my logo. That's what I want to see on every t-shirt, on, you know, on every kid on the planet, mm -hmm. you know, that's our dream. You know, so it, it kind of shows that, you know, there's this guy, what's with the scissors? People, people, it asks, it asks questions. You know, the cover asks questions. Why is there scissors behind him on a swirl? Why are the demons trying to get him? Why is he in a throne? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's all about just asking questions so people get interested. And his concept of this was amazing. I think we went through about uh, maybe six, seven concepts before we settled on this one. I mean, and all of them were absolutely amazing, and you'll you'll be able to see what they are in the book. I mean, the, the, they're from the radical to to just the the ridiculous. So when I say mm -hmm. I need a cover concept, my initial idea is is A, and then I throw it Francisco, and he comes back with B, C, <laughs> and it's like, whoa, okay, let's try to narrow this down. So you know this this is the, the this is the concept for the Big Book of Bob, and of course every every other cover is involved. Mm -hmm. um, and like I was talking about your legalities, your disclaimers, your copyrights, your information on on your inside panel page. You need to have that. And this art is funny because you know it's the uh, it's the art from the uh, the ink layouts, but it's look at how clean it looks. This yeah. is what we see after the um the initial layout we see this pretty aspect of it and you know you can see where the ghosts are in red mm -hmm. and the, the main characters are, are just the regular inks now he'll send me two versions of this which i love he sends me the version with just the blacks and then just the red so you can see where the ghosts are so in the trailer that's how i was able to make the ghosts pop up i was able to superimpose them so that it looks like the ghosts pop up and it was mm -hmm. animated but he had already did that on the layouts. That's so cool. Real quick, we have uh, Uni joining us over on Twitch with a nice, a nice big raid, uh, bringing us some new viewers. We also had ASAP Imagination over on YouTube saying the music was pretty fire. Yeah, I thought the music was phenomenal. That trailer was gorgeous. Was that something that you guys did uh, with Warehouse? Um, yeah, I strictly did all of that. I cool, did all cool. The yeah, that was gorgeous. And and the music at the time, I think I got off of uh, Tune Society. Uh, I licensed the music from them. So once again, I own that music. 
So when it can go on YouTube or whatever, I own the licensing to that music. There should be no copyright disputes. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I paid, you know, you got to help out. You got to help out the musicians out mm -hmm. there. I don't know. I paid something like 25 to $50 per track. And I think that was one particular track. And it cost me, I think that one cost me like $65. And it's That's worth its weight in gold. Yeah, yeah. it's worth its weight. How, how about an artist out there? There, There's many platforms you can do that on. No, you're not. I was going to, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I was going to say uh, you're 100% right. Uh, for me, I uh, bought this one soundtrack off someone and I use it for my interviews. I use it for uh, any, like any like video, like visual co uh, content I make. I use it as a background, like backing track for it. So, I mean, it's like endless. And the same thing with like art, you know, like PNG logos or anything like that. You could take that, put it on shirts, stickers, all that. Like, you know, so you're 100% you're right with that. Yeah, and I think, and it's once again, it's a way to, it's a way to support the infrastructure, mm -hmm. you know, you know, let, let's do that. So it's, it's, it was no problem. I mean, I'm going to edit it and produce it anyways. And, and, and what's, what's the problem with paying $65 for a piece of music that you don't, you're not going to get hassled about in the future. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we do our legal disclaimers and then you got a nice little introduction here about how, how this whole process came about. And all the background art, you know, is is art taken taken from every aspect of, of what Francisco created. I own every bit of that art. So if there was a panel that we didn't use, if there was a page we didn't use, or if there was art that was that was uh, so big and grand, I can take pieces of it. That's what I did here to create these background layouts, just to keep it a little bit more flourish than mm -hmm. using your average white on you know black on white. Um, of course, our logo, which we're always happy to show. Uh, uh, an alternate cover, which turned into a, a poster buy when we initially released this digitally. I uh, like you get this the book too. And you get an alternate poster, high resolution poster. So what was uh, the inspiration for this cover? Uh, you know, when it comes to the covers, once again, I go cinematic. Mm -hmm. So I would tell Francisco, Look at James Bond posters. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to Bond. Or I would send examples or look at Indiana Jones posters. Look at, um, uh, those kinds of posters to, to give us that nice streamlined, um, layout, mm -hmm. uh, looking from top to bottom or bottom to top. So that's the way we, we design all covers. You know, I always say, give me, give me some room on top or room on the bottom, because this is what I'm going to do. And, uh, this was one of the initial covers, um, actually showing the, the, the zombie pygmy babies. <laughs> um, and we, but we decided to go with this one because I don't know. Uh, I, I love how this, the scissors are almost like the golden gun too. <laughs> yes, you got it. You know, that was basically James Bond. Let's mm -hmm. do James Bond and let's texture it out. Um, you know, make sure it's, it's not overly, uh, it has to have depth. So that's why you got those nice, um, uh, paint lines on it. Um, uh, our old graphics, the old um, title, which mm -hmm. is now, you know, uh, evolved. But, you know, this is it. This is book one. This is what we sold it on right here. Boom. Um, and once again, you know, you have the disclaimer for the individual, uh, the individual books, which I love these, these, these layouts he does. They look so cool. Yeah. Hey, your artist definitely killed it. And then we get into the, uh, the actual prologue. One page prologue. So yeah. what are we Just, what are we seeing happen uh, within the prologue? You're you're getting you're getting introduced. 
the prologue, you know, once again, I like to think of the James Bond movies. You have those scenes before the opening credit sequence to say, you know, let's let's just get some questions mm -hmm. into the story. Let's get some questions into the story. So you know, you know that there's a professor and an assistant robbing a gravesite, and you know they've secured a medallion. So this is the Hux medallion, and it's very bad. He shouldn't be doing this. And in the process, he gets injured. He cuts his hand. Which means he's just fed. He's just fed the entity <laughs> inside that medallion. So you don't know this. This is all going to play out. But you know, we wanted to hit people over the head with the idea of, okay, what's going on here? We're not starting off with our our hero, our character. Mm -hmm. We don't. So our prologue was designed just to ask nothing but questions, so that we could answer it later. And I kind of take a what do you call it? A a um, episodic thirty-minute television structure when I write these books. Uh, it's not written traditionally like a comic book supposed to be written. I write it like you're watching a sitcom, like you're going to yeah. sit down and watch Seinfeld or something. So having said that, that's why we do, we do prologues like this. We just want to add, have a bunch of questions lingering so that we can answer them later on down the story. We have uh, Nordic Uni over on Twitch saying uh, they uh, really dig the art in this comic. Yeah, I think the art is, is, is gorgeous. Yeah. It, it evolves, you know, it totally evolves. So we like the textures and everything. And then we finally get into the to Bob. Who is Bob? You know, we get into a shot. We get to see him in action. He's in action. He's cutting hair. You know, he's not I love uh, how your artist was able to do the window too. Uh, the way you're kind of like looking into it, like that looks gorgeous. The way they kind of like did uh, like the, the undertone for colors to kind of make it look like you're looking through it with the reflection still on it. Yeah, uh, it's kind of that opaque. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, and we, we will design it script wise to do that. You know, we, we will say kind of where we want it, interior, exterior. We will, yeah. we will say those things and he, he understands that and then he just goes with it so you know this is to me this is a very well laid out page mm -hmm. you know we got five panels um, it's broken up pretty evenly and you can actually get an, a, an idea of what he's up to so as he's working on somebody he's having a vision this guy's a football player he's seeing something happening in a game but it's not distracting him from cutting his hair same over here professional wrestler is he winning is he losing we don't know but bob can see it yeah and then we get so to does bob see just like random visions or uh is he able to kind of pinpoint what he wants to see from them he has no control over it that's why it's a distraction it's it's actually too overwhelming for him at times so it's hard for him to be around people but he's in a people profession which once again <laughs> is a problem yeah so so he's able to control it and not be distracted. And in the background, you have his gramps ranting and raving over the television set, you know, about about the psychic union and their and their commercials. So we want to kind of introduce this world of of okay, you know, he's got an appointment to keep. It it may be a lead to the psychic union. He's happy with what he's doing right now. And then we kind of get an idea on the title page, the interior title page, of what he's actually seeing. So when he walks out into the world, this is what he sees. So once again, he's, he can't freak out. He's got to be cool as a cucumber every time he goes into the world with all this distraction around him. So this is, this is the tip-off of 
everything that the book's to culminate of, of his of, of his mm -hmm. dilemma in life. This is so like it's gorgeous too. It's so much to take in. There's so much happening on it. Uh, I love how like you see like the the balance of like real like li flesh life like individuals, and then you see like the ghost and in in the in the and everything up in the air and around them. Right, and all of that is Francisco. We just say we need to see spirits. We need to see <laughs> the spirit world. So it's a chance for him to dig in his archives, whatever, and place characters throughout the whole book. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, uh, uh, I didn't say anything about a tentacle coming up behind a building or a <laughs> rock star. Uh, we, that's not in the script. That's that's all him, the genie. Uh, and we're like, when we get the art, it's like Christmas. It's like your birthday. You're opening up your mm -hmm. present and going, okay, this is better than we had anticipated. And of course, you know, uh, sometimes their suggestions and edits, <laughs> like always, but he pretty much nailed it. We have uh, ASAP Imagination saying, I bloody love that page. Yeah, that page is gorgeous. Like, so when you talk to your artists, how much creative control do you give them? Do you just kind of like give them your idea and let them do what they want to? It seems like they have just been killing it with like every single page. I think it's a, uh, well, after character designs and we agree on the character designs, it's free reign. Um, and if there's anything that we think is, is needs to be uh, edited or modified, we'll suggest it. And it's usually never a problem. Um, so it's pretty much free reign. It's, it's, and when, when your team's in tune, they're in tune. That's yeah, just yeah, yeah, to it. yeah. So we were all in tune and that's how it worked out. So, you know, if I say exterior, you know, city university, and then we have the, uh, the dialogue mm -hmm. over it, I don't design the city university, you know, it's night, it's a university. It's up to him to think about those designs. And, and then once we see it, we're like, okay, the world has been created. You know, interior professor's office. I didn't say anything about some weird skull with that's a pencil holder or, or you know, <laughs> or this, whatever this creature is in a jar. You know, we that's all the artists. So, and I that, that, that I, I was gonna say that must mean that they're having fun with it too. Like, this is something that they're passionate about just as much as you are. You know, when they're going to that, that extreme to make sure it's as detailed as possible. Absolutely. And, and that's, as a filmmaker, the director steps on the set, you know, and if I'm working the camera and I'm, and I'm composing the shot, I'm directing the shot. I'm directing exactly the way that's going to look. Now, it was a bit, it was a bit off-putting at first for me to put that in somebody else's hand mm -hmm. for, the, for the comic book to say, okay, now you're the director. And I was, I was a little like, I'm not sure about this. I'm not an, an overwhelming control freak. But when I started to see what was happening in the first two, three, four pages, it was like, this guy's got it. Guess what? We don't have to worry about it. And it was a great fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this is, this is how, this is the rundown. You know, this is how it all ends up happening. This is, this is it. Um, we had a great, great time with it, and ultimately, too, the the goal is was to get the book to print. Mm -hmm. You know, we started off digital, which which did well. Uh, I hooked up with ASAP, and it was the idea, you know, through the Any One World, to get this book to print and get it out into the world. And you know, that's what makes us extremely happy. You know, having your hard copy mm -hmm. book, having and this thing in your hand. Speaking of that, let me go ahead and get that link in here too. Uh, we're you're we're able to actually order this off of the. Uh... 
the ASAP, right? Uh, any any one world. Yeah, it's, it's in Streamyard. It's the second link down, I believe. Let me get that pulled up, and we will put this. Actually, in Streamyard, I got your uh, just the YouTube and then the I uh, IMDb. Streamyard? Are you in Streamyard? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the only thing I've seen is uh, the YouTube and then the uh, IMDB. Uh, there's a... Uh, in private chat and in comments. Okay, how about this? And then uh, post-production, I'll, I'll edit this part out to you. Okay, here we go. Boom. I put it in uh, Twitter. Twitter? Okay, perfect. Alright, and then I'm going to be putting the link for anyone that is interested. We'll be putting the link right here. So you can pick this book up as well. It is gorgeous. I have uh, the opportunity to check out the PDF, and I, I want to get it physically too. Uh, what what uh, what type of uh, paper is it printed on? Can you give us a little bit about like the book and like the the material? Oh yeah, it's it's you know it comes in uh, either the prestige hardcover, which is what I have here, and it, it's your your heavy bound paper. Oh yeah, that's you know, gorgeous. It's very fun. Um, and it comes in paperback, digital as well, if you want the digital download. Um, the book is kind of fun because uh, my, my, my editor and co-writer, Adam, was, was pretty tripped out about this. Uh, if you look on the page here that I have up, you can see there's a border around it mm -hmm. that's got the magical blue kind of glow. Yeah. Every book has its own uh, its own chap uh, chapter cover, I'll call it, or, or border. So when you look at the book from the side, you can kind of see like which books are are, oh, are in there. Oh, okay. And um, yeah, that's pretty cool. I saw that done somewhere, and I don't remember where I saw it. And I thought it was pretty clever. And the rules are: what are the rules? Do I have to have white borders going to print? You know, I'm, so I, uh, we discussed this. No, you don't. So I thought, good, I want to do this so that it's a little bit more, more unique when it's... Yeah, I don't think I've really it. seen uh, many graphic novels done in that fashion. That is pretty That is pretty cool. Yeah, I think I've seen it once, and I don't remember. It might have been just been a regular novel or something that had the, mm -hmm. the chapters. Uh, and I thought, well, let's do that. That'll be fun. So I was able to design that outlet and, and send it to, to Paul at ASAP. And it worked well for, for the print, you know, oh, it was like, hey, that's fantastic. So, I mean, this is the print version. And then, of course, uh, the uh, digital version will bleed. Mm -hmm. you, you get you get a little more out of it. But I just thought it was fun to do something like this so you could see uh, the different books or chapters, as I call them, uh, and the production value of the book itself. So I think yeah. when you create a book, you create a little bit more. You know, it's like uh, you, you get the nice pages, mm -hmm. you get you get the borders. Um, you gotta make it. You gotta. You gotta make it worth, worth it, so people will want to get it. You know, oh, you gotta absolutely. go the extra mile. So this is this is all we're gonna show uh, of Bob, right? Uh, everything else, uh, spoiler territory, correct? Yeah, we get into massive spoilers. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's go ahead. Uh, grateful for what you did show us. I always, you know, I love spoiling what I can, but I, uh, you know, I realize you got to save some juice for people to buy it too. Uh, again, anyone that is interested, here's the link to go and buy it yourself. So. What's next for you? For you? What's next for Bob? What's next for Warehouse Nine Productions? Where Where can we see you going next, Lance? Well, we're gonna blow everybody's mind with this with the new film, um, Coiffier Extraordinaire, Waiting for Le Gros. <laughs> and 
it's a spinoff of the Bob book. But here's here's where we shake it up. It's not going to be Bob. It's going to be one of his predecessors from 200 years ago. Oh. Uh, another another well-known hairstylist that actually exists historically, Le Gros de Romigny, a French hair hairstylist, hairdresser of the French court. Um, this guy was real. And he's in book one uh, within the big book of Bob. He's featured. Uh, we show him. Uh, this is based off of a real guy. You can look him up. His death is very mysterious in, in real life. And we kind of we kind of took liberty on that to say, well, what really happened to him and his magical scissors? And how did they get into Bob's hands, mm -hmm. his enchanted scissors? And how is Bob carrying the torch? So that's also part of the Bob book when you get it. But now we're going to actually show the man himself, Lebro, uh, fighting evil hair in this short film. Now That is so cool. This has been a... a a two-year process, not just due to the pandemic, but because how do I do 17th, you know, century France in Colorado? <laughs> yeah. So we're we're pulling out all the stops. It's shot on film. I mean, we're doing miniatures, puppets, mm -hmm. paper cutouts, green screen. Uh, we're doing everything we can to make this look like Jim Henson, uh, Terry Gilliam That's so from the awesome. 80s. You know, this, we, we got the elaborate costumes and the wig constructs. Uh, we have a preview of it in the book. So one of the only places you'll see a preview is in the book. We have behind the scenes shots of, of this, this film that we've been working on for, for two years. And right now it's in post-production and it's in the, um, it's in the special effects phase. So every single shot of this 10 minute movie has, a, has an effect in it. That's and so awesome. It has been very laborious. I mean, we have been working very hard on it. We're almost done with the effects, and then we'll get into the sound design. But that's what's taking precedence right now, is, is the film spinoff of the book. So we have uh, Matt J. Rainwater over on YouTube. Stop it in to say very fun world building. I, I love that, too. I love how you're kind of taking it and going back with it. Was that always like the idea or how did you guys stumble across that that concept? Because that, that's a really cool like thing in itself. You know, like what made Bob before Bob was Bob? Yeah, I mean, the world building is, is I think, is key to anything. I think uh, I think you're going to think of your characters and your stories a little bit more detailed if you build the world and characters around him. Mm hmm. So even on the, uh, the Warehouse 9 website, we, we actually have the world of Bob. You have dossiers of the characters, and you have the locations, you have the artifacts. And we, were, we wanted to build a library of that. We wanted to say, okay, it, it adds a lot of flavor and, and depth to your story and characters if you have that world around them. So initially, yeah, this was going to be a, a, a make-believe place where, where everybody exists, you know, we don't say what city it is, we don't say what state it is, we don't say where it is at all. We just try to say it's it's this place and this is what's happening within it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, 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 that came from the original screenplay, you know, the world was built, but now visually, when you get the art, you're, you're, you're expanding on that world, you're actually showing the barber shop, that is his, his his bat cave, you know, that's mm -hmm. his fortress of solitude. That's his livelihood. <laughs> so you get to see that. 
And then you get to see City University. You get to see the Psychic Union headquarters. You get to see everything involved in it and all the mm -hmm. characters uh, uh, affiliated. So, you know, after you finish the initial books and all that, you, you come to realize that the world is pretty in-depth. So we want to just be able to show that on websites, in interviews, to say, look, there's more to the book than just the book. There's a whole world that this is based off of and some historical elements that you can actually look up and have fun with it. Uh, in the writing, we want to really, we really want to be in depth. We want to kind of say, hey, look, there's more to it than this. Yeah, look up LeGro. The guy really existed. It was crazy what he was doing. That's with the so hair awesome. Of his day. You know, look, look up these things. It's really fun. So, you know, that comes with the territory and, and just narrowing it all down and organizing it into something cohesive and pointing people to it. You know, it took a lot of time. But when you have the assets, you just need to sit down and do it. You just can't. You just can't sit on the book itself and think that's all there is to it. You really need to go the extra mile. Absolutely, absolutely. Wow, this has been such an awesome sit down. I, I have really appreciated you coming on, breaking down Bob and everything in between. Before we officially wrap things up, though, as much as this show is a nice little introduction to you and your book, it's also a learning tool for anyone that might be new and, and watching. So kind of with that in mind, for anyone that is like starting out for the first time, whether it's creating film, creating comics or any sort of medium, and they're having trouble just getting started, getting started with the script process or even just any, any, any part of the process, what advice would you give them to kind of help them break through that barrier? Well, you know, uh, uh, be disciplined. You know, you have to really study your craft. It's not easy. You know, whether I can spin a yarn in, in five minutes or write it down in two, three weeks, um, it takes discipline and it's difficult. So I guess look at your inspirations. Um, don't copy them. Don't, don't, you know what I mean? Try, mm -hmm. try to avoid those, those tropes and those cliches, but study it. There are, there are screen writing programs. There are countless so-called professionals that can say that they can show you how to do it, but still it all, it's all about your own discipline. So if you're writing a graphic novel, I mean, I was looking at early on, uh, Alan Moore's, uh, Swamp Thing run, you know, I'm like, okay, I like what he's doing here. Mm -hmm. I like the whole idea of it. So let's just, you know, let's, let's think about that. And then we created our own world off of it uh, to say, no, we, we're not resembling anything like that at all, but it was inspiration. Yeah. And even in film, you know, um, if I'm doing a cowboy movie, uh, it's, it's like, okay, I look at the cinema uh, that I grew up with to say, okay, this is, this is how I, I want it to be this good. So let's just try to do that. You just got to have the discipline to do it. And look, there's a lot of naysayers. There's a lot of things overwhelming people at this moment in time. But guess what? You have control of your art. If you don't take control of it, it's not going to happen. Absolutely. We have uh, Jay Michael Miller joining us over on YouTube saying this looks interesting as well. Yeah, no, uh, Jay, uh, you missed it. We, we took a big uh, deep dive into the art in a couple pages. So if you... Uh, Rewind a couple, I would say about 10, 20 minutes ago, you can get a little bit deeper look at it. Lance, thank you so much for stopping by. This has been such an awesome breakdown. For everyone, excuse me, everyone watching, we do have in the comments the link to go and buy this book. Check it out. It's on ASAP Imagination. Get the hardback cover. It is gorgeous. And there's going to be some really cool behind the scene looks uh, at the upcoming film as well, right? Uh, as well, right? Yes, yes. We have a page dedicated, dedicated to 
to the uh, the look of the film and, and what we're up to, and it's pretty mind-blowing. I'm, I'm very happy at how it's turning out. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So guys, with that being said, we are going to be officially wrapping it up. It is a beautiful Thursday out there, and I need to get ready for work, of course. But Lance, once again, thank you for stopping by. I hope you have an awesome afternoon as well. Everyone watching, have an awesome day, but most importantly, keep it geekly.